If you have your Bibles, please open to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. Um, this morning we'll be looking at verses 22 through 32 on Jesus' uh, teaching on being anxious. Now, today I'm going to address uh, what I think affects all of us in, in one way or another, um, and that is the issue of anxiety, the issue of fear. It's something that uh, the pandemic um, through the last year has really brought to the forefront in a lot of our lives and even in my own life. Now, what I want to say, just from a historical perspective, is we look back through history and we look at all civilizations from all of time. I want to say that for those of us that live in the United States, in this time period, we are the safest people who have ever lived. I'll just think about that for a second. We are the safest people who have ever lived on the face of the earth, meaning we're not war ravaged. We're not, we don't have people that are going to come in and destroy our cities. We have the best health care in the world. We have the finest military in the world. We are the safest people who have ever lived. And yet, at the same time, we are the most anxious people on the earth. Those two things shouldn't go together. But that shows you something about who we are at our heart, who we are as a people, right? Anxiety, if you think about that, if I was to ask the question, why do you think that we are simultaneously the safest people who have ever lived and the most anxious? And you were to ask why that is, this is how I would answer it. Anxiety feeds off of the need to preserve what I have and to provide for myself. That's what anxiety feeds off of. I'm worried that what I have will be taken away or somehow lost. I'm worried that I won't have enough in the future. I'm worried about not knowing what's going to happen tomorrow. Now, we've even learned in our country how to market worry and fear and anxiety. 24-hour news can only stay in business because it keeps you anxious and worrying about something. I want you to just think about that for a second. You'll see a headline like this, the common spice in your pantry that could kill you, and more at 11 o'clock. Or even, and that's a, fake, that's a fake headline, by the way, but let me give you some real headlines just to show you. These are real headlines. I Googled this. Here it is. Cows lose their jobs as milk prices drop. So now I have to worry about cows along with my own day-to-day -day life. Here's another one. Re this is, these are real headlines. Miracle cure that kills the fifth patient. Here's another one. Breathing oxygen linked to staying alive. I'm worried that I'm not breathing oxygen, right? And so here's the point. As followers of Jesus, we need to hear what Jesus has to say about worry and anxiety and let what he says shape our lives more than what everything, everybody else in the world says that we should worry about. Now, let's turn to Luke chapter 12 and let's get the context of what I'm going to be talking about. My title this morning is Do Not Be Anxious, but look back in Luke chapter 12, beginning, I'm going to begin back in verse 13, even though this is not what I'm preaching. So if you're there in Luke 12, say amen. Oh, that's a good sound. Here we go. This is Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse 13, the parable of the rich fool. Let's see why he's a rich fool. It says, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to them, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. All right, so be on guard against desiring things of this world. 
He says, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. That's one of the main points of this sermon. Your life does not consist in what you have or what you don't have. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully and he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? He's worried. And he said, I will do this. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself, but is not rich towards God. And then Jesus teaches this lesson out of that parable. He says, and he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life. If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom first, and all these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of His word. Now as I go through this, I want to point out three things as we walk through this text today, as we all look at our own battle daily battle with anxiety, worry, and fear. So the first thing I want you to see is that Jesus points out the issue. Jesus points out the issue in verses 22 and 23. It says there, he says to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. So that's the issue. What you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on, for life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Life is more than food and the body more than clothing. I want you to notice a few things here. I want you to notice that Jesus isn't addressing the crowds here. Notice that it begins in verse 22 with Jesus addressing his disciples. So he's not addressing unbelievers. He's addressing those who are his disciples. He's instructing his disciples. So this, these are those who have a relationship with him, who follow him as Lord. It's those who have heard his call, responded in faith, obey his word, and follow him on his mission. So if you're in this room, first of all, if you don't belong to Jesus, then no, Jesus isn't talking to you. You have a million things to worry about. But I'd say you might not have to worry about this. But if you're a believer, Jesus is speaking particularly to you about the way you interact with worry and anxiety and fear. So if you have heard the call of Jesus, he's speaking now. Notice next, Jesus identifies the issue as being anxious about your life. 
Jesus says that life is more than food, clothing, and possessions. This is what he told the rich fool um, in the earlier parable, that your life is more than the things you have. You have to understand that, that life cannot be measured or quantified by what we have or what we do not have. Now, that is one of the biggest lies that our modern culture tries to sell you. That you watch TV and you see the lives of the rich and the famous and you see those of the Hollywood elite who have the best cars and the biggest mansions. And what Jesus says is you don't measure life that way. Or you see someone poor on the street who, who lives in a small house but their needs are met day by day. Jesus says you don't measure life that way. It's not about what you have or what you do not have. Life was, and here's the issue, this is the underlying principle behind that from God's perspective. Life was designed by God, because that's the key issue, being anxious about your life. Life was designed by God to be primarily about our relationship to Him, not our relationship to stuff. So if you measure your life by your relationship to stuff, then you are absolutely going to miss the, the main point of what God says all of life is really about. Our life was made to be in a relationship with Him. Now, of course, God made us with basic physical needs. We all need food, clothing, and shelter. We know that, but life is more than our relationship to those basic needs. Our true life's purpose and meaning can only be found in our relationship to Jesus. So any thought or idea... And you have to fight this. Listen to me, young people. You're going to have to fight this. Some of us older people have fought this. And we, we are starting, I hope most of us are starting to understand this, that the more stuff we have does not make us more happy. Or if we have less, it makes us less happy. That's not the issue. We have to learn that, that our, um, our life's purpose is found in Jesus. So any thought or idea that limits life to just this material world, any thought or idea that limits the meaning and purpose of life to just this temporary material world around us is missing the true meaning and nature of why we were created. You have to wrestle through that yourself. Look at every other major worldview in the world or every other philosophy or religion. Any worldview that tries to limit it to just the material things around us is going to end in nihilism. It's going to end in meaninglessness, arbitrariness, purposelessness because Jesus says here life is more than the things you see around you second Jesus then gives us practical illustrations to press on this point Jesus uses things in the material world to help us teach a lesson after all God is the one who created all of the order around us all of the all of the uniformity in nature comes because of the way God has created it look at verses 24 through 30 and we'll just go through that together Jesus tells us first to consider these examples he says consider the ravens the birds consider the lilies of the field now that should call your that should call your attention to the truth that Jesus wants us to think about something. He says, consider these things, that we have to think about these things rightly. Our struggle with anxiety and doubt and fear is a struggle to consider rightly. It's a struggle to take captive this thought and think rightly about it in light of God's truth and His Word. Now, our struggle begins there. Now, notice that Jesus doesn't just tell us in verses 24 and 30 just to stop worrying. Like when I get short with my kids, when I get frustrated with them, and I just say, stop! Stop it! 
you ever ride with me in the car, you might hear me say something like that to my children or to errant drivers. Stop that. Stop it. But that's not what Jesus does with us. He doesn't tell us just to stop worrying. He gives us theological reasons as to why worrying arises in our hearts. And then he gives us theological reasons to combat the unbelief that tends to grip our minds and our hearts. So what are those things that Jesus wants us to consider? Here they are, three things. Number one, Jesus says first, consider that God feeds the birds every day. God feeds the birds every day, right? He says they don't sow the fields and they don't reap harvest. And like the rich, like the rich fool in the previous uh, parable, they're not worried about building barns and storing more grain in the barns season by season. Jesus says consider, consider they don't have barns or storehouses. And if God feeds them, he will feed you. You are more valuable than the birds. You are a son or daughter by faith. He's speaking to his disciples. You are his child. He is a good parent. He will care for his children. He does not abandon them. So first, God feeds the birds every day. Funny story, yesterday me and Kelly were out in the yard uh, doing some yard work in the front, and there was a bird in the thing on my door, and my wife didn't tell me it was there, and I reach for the front door, and the bird flies by my face, and I almost fall off the stairs. To her giggling. The bird went out to eat. That's what he was doing. God feeds the birds. God feeds the birds. Secondly, God clothes the grass. That's what God does. So we don't, the, the, he says, look at, consider the lilies of the field. They neither toil nor spin. So the point is, they don't weave garments or spin fabric. And yet God clothes them with splendor with splendor they are beautiful more gloriously clothed than solomon in all of his riches god clothes the grass of the field this is what god does have faith if god takes care of the temporary grass that today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven he will take care of you now this is what that means the point here is that the birds aren't fed and the grass isn't clothed because they worry. Think about that. The birds aren't worried about food and the grass isn't worried about being clothed. So worrying doesn't do anything for them. It doesn't do anything. A lot of times we can feel helpless and we can worry as a way of us trying to contribute to an outcome. It's a way of feeling involved in the process. But once we realize that's not the case, that takes away some of the power and some of the grip that worry has on us. You being worried will not change a single thing. Not once, not ever. It's not the way God made us. The birds don't worry, the grass doesn't worry. You being worried isn't going to actually do anything. So here's the thing. Can I do something about this issue? Okay. Well, then I, will fi I will, then, uh, then I will know there's no reason to worry about it. And if not, worrying won't do me anything either. So worrying is pointless. Worrying is pointless. So God feeds the birds, God clothes the grass, and third, and this is a very important one, third, God sets the time frame of our lives. Notice there in verse 25 and 26. Look back at the text. Verses 25 and 26. He says, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? 
If then you were not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? So, here's the point. God has sovereignly planned and set our lives according to His, God, His good purposes. God is the one who sets that timetable. So this is the issue with the parable of the rich young fool. He didn't live as though he had an unchangeable appointment to make before God. So instead, what was he doing? He was going to store up his wealth and eat and drink and be merry for many years to come with no regard for who God is. His life wasn't characterized by worry, but by a lack of worry about the right issue. And that issue is God's sovereign rule over our lives. So what Jesus is saying in verses 25 and 26 is that worrying cannot do what you think it will do. Worrying will not extend your life by one hour. And Jesus says that in God's hands, that's a small thing. Think about that. Jesus says you can't even add an hour to your span of life. And in God's, in God's economy, that's a very small thing. It's a very small thing for God to give you an hour. But you can't even do that. Yeah, over in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says you can't even turn one hair, uh, one, one hair white or gray. Of course, now we're like, well, well, Jesus, we can do that now through chemistry. Thank you very much. But that's not you doing that. That's you using something God has made to do that. Just a reminder of that. Um, some of you uh, might need to be touched up a little bit. That's me. I've got gray everywhere. But the point is worrying will not do what you think it will do. Worrying can't add that. But this is what worrying can do. Let me tell you what worrying can do. Worrying can steal your joy. And it can diminish your faith. That's what worrying really does. It steals your joy and it diminishes your faith. And I'll just add that medical science also tells us that the opposite is true. You can greatly shorten your life by worrying. You can greatly shorten your life by worrying. Now look at the end of verse 28. Look at the end of verse 28. We need to get here to verse 28. It says there, um, he says, But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you? Here's the phrase, O you of little faith. So this is the root issue. Jesus is saying that living under the control and sway of anxiety and fear is not living by faith in God. So the root, the root of anxiety and worry and fear is unbelief in God's goodness or greatness. That's what it is. When you are worrying, you are trying to say that you should be in charge, that you should be God, that you should be able to handle this, and that God is obviously unable or inept or unwilling. And that is a huge problem. In order for those symptoms of unbelief to control you, that's what anxiety and worry and fear is, it's a symptom of unbelief. In order for, those, uh, in order for that to control you, you have to believe a lie about God, about who God is. You either, you either have to believe that one, God is not there. God is absent. He's not there. He's not around. Two, God is not good. If God was good, He wouldn't let me go through this. If God was good, this wouldn't be happening. Or three, God can't do anything about it. Now the reason all of that is unbelief is because none of those things are true from a biblical perspective. God is absolutely good, He is absolutely in control, and He absolutely rules the universe, and He's absolutely set the span of your life. And so, you are believing something that is a lie in order for that to control your mind and your heart. Now, 
the, the, here's the application. Instead of turning to anxiety and worry, I would encourage you to turn to faith. Turn away from unbelief and turn to belief. Turn to trusting God. Listen, one of the, one of the prayers I pray all the time is, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Lord, I believe, but help me right now overcome this unbelief in my life. Each battle with anxiety and fear is an opportunity to respond in faith, to turn from that and turn to Jesus. George Mueller, um, the famous, famous pastor, theologian, um, uh, adoption center runner, he says this, he says, the beginning of anxiety is the end of faith. Just think about that for a second. The beginning of anxiety is the end of faith. And the beginning of true faith is the end of anxiety. That's the issue. It's a heart of unbelief that has to be addressed with faith. So Jesus points out the issue. He gives practical illustrations. And finally, Jesus provides gospel insights. Jesus provides gospel insights. Look at verse 32. Look at verse 32, what Jesus tells them. He says, fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He says, fear not. Now let's look at every word of this incredible promise. First, Jesus says, fear not, little flock. So instead of being worry or fe- having worry or fear be the dominant thing, Jesus says, fear not, and then he gives these comforting words, little flock. This should remind us of Jesus' claim of being the good shepherd which God promises in Isaiah 40. He says, He will tend His flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in His arms and carry them in His bosom and gently lead those that are with young. That's what Jesus does. We are His people. He takes us in His arms and He carries us. There's no need to worry. Fear not. Jesus is fulfilling that promise here and He tells us not to be afraid. Those who belong to Jesus are not to worry or fear. And Jesus tells us why. Look at the rest of the phrase. He says, fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Whose Father? Your Father. Notice what Jesus doesn't say, my Father here, even though that would be true. Jesus could have said, fear not, little flock, it is my Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He says, no, fear not, little flock, it is your Father's good pleasure. Your Father... Key in on that phrase, because we belong to Jesus by faith, we have a relationship with the Father. He's our Father, and He cares for us. Jesus tells His disciples, this is your Father. This is your Father because of me. And then second, notice how Jesus finishes the phrase. He says, it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He says, it pleases your Father to give you the kingdom. Think about that for a second. It pleases the Father to give us the kingdom. It pleases Him. It pleases Him. That means it brings Him pleasure to give it to us. So you don't have to fear. This is one of the things you fear. You fear that after all of your life, after all of the things you've went through, that at the end of it, you won't receive the kingdom. At the end of it, God is going to let you, you are either going to let God down or God is going to let you down, and your hope in Christ is going to be useless at the end. And Jesus says, Don't fear that. It is the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So, what happens is, we don't have to fear that the Father will hold out on us. 
or that he'll begrudgingly give us the kingdom, or that he will change his mind. No, it is the joy of the Father to give us what he promised. He's not like the judge. We sometimes get this in our mind, that God is this harsh judge. God is not like the judge who really wants to condemn us, but can't because of some legal technicality. Well, I want to put you in prison, but there's a legal technicality, so I have to let you go free. That's not how God is. No, when God gives us the kingdom, that is according to his nature and character, as a good father, according to what Jesus has done. His goodness towards us isn't out of character, but in accordance with his character. And so we have to guard our hearts against this fear that would cause us to disbelieve in the absolute, unhindered, unfettered, unrestrained, and unequaled goodness of our Father. And third, I want you to notice the grace involved here. How does Jesus end this phrase? He says, fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Give it. Not earn it. Not work your way to it. Not try to not do any of the bad things or do enough of the good things. No, no, no. This is the grace of the gospel. It pleases the Father to give it out of His grace. Listen, He doesn't give it to you because you deserve it. He doesn't give you the kingdom because you've earned it. And He doesn't give it to you because you have more food, clothing, and shelter than the next person around you. It's not a contest of who has the most stuff or who has the least stuff. That's not how Jesus measures the gift of the kingdom. None of those things keep you from the kingdom, whether you have a lot or you have a little. That's the gospel. So these disciples that Jesus is addressing here, let me just remind you, they're a bunch of screw-ups. They don't do everything right. The, 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 the gospels are filled with examples of their fear, their unbelief, their misunderstandings, and their failings. And yet Jesus says, it's the Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. He's going to give it to you. And they're like, what are you talking about? I don't deserve this. That is the gospel. And I want to point out here two critically important truths here that deal with our anxiety as I try to wrap this up. Two critically important truths. Look at verses 28 and 29 and 30. Because I've skipped these on purpose until now. Verses 29 and 30. He says, For all the nations of the world seek after these things. That's all the food, the clothing, the possessions. They're seeking after the things that they think make up this life. He says, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Notice here that our Father knows our daily needs. Jesus isn't saying that we go through this with blind faith as though we ignore our daily needs. He says, your Father knows it. Your Father knows you have daily needs. Jesus tells us as plainly as possible that our Father knows our needs. So this means something. What this means in relation to our anxiety and our fear is this helps us combat this lie that would say our Father is absent. Our Father doesn't pay attention. Our Father is inattentive or uncaring. No, Jesus says He knows and He responds. Because we have gospel hope by faith we look at this life differently than those around us. That's what Jesus says. The rest of the nations of the world chase after this stuff, but your Father knows these things. And so here's the point. If we look and act and worry just like everyone else around us, 
then we're not living out the truths of Christ and his kingdom. That's the point. If you're going around gripped by anxiety, gripped by fear, gripped by worry, Jesus says you look like the nations. You don't look like people who belong to my Father. That is the point. We aren't living in light of eternity when we do that. Our lives should be characterized by humble submission to God's daily provision and will and not by constant worry. As Tim Keller tweeted out a couple weeks ago, he says this, if the resurrection is true, everything's going to be all right. That's our gospel hope. That's, our go- that's the gospel hope we get up with every day. If the resurrection is true, listen, everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. And by the way, Tim, Kel- Tim Keller saying that as someone who's battling uh, pancreatic cancer. He- he's towards the end of his life um, in some ways. He says that it's fine. If the resurrection's true, everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. Part of our witness to the world, here, this is why this is so important. Part of our witness to the world as believers is how we trust God by faith instead of walking around in fear. That's, how, that's part of how we maintain our Christian witness in this world is we're not controlled or gripped by act, living as though God isn't in control of the world around us. And so that's the first critically important truth. Our Father knows our daily needs. And second, seeking God's kingdom must be our highest aim. Notice what Jesus says in verse 31. I've saved this to the very end on purpose. He says, instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Jesus said, instead of looking like the nations, instead of worrying about food and clothing and possessions, instead of that, combat that kind of worry and fear by instead choosing to turn everything towards seeking Christ's kingdom. Instead of chasing this world's goods or accolades or accomplishments, seek what will last for eternity. Seeking anything other than God's kingdom means, by definition, we are seeking things that will not last into eternity. That's where we get tangled up, isn't it? Isn't it funny that we always try to worry about the things we have, or the things we wish we had, or the things that absolutely have no sway over our eternal destiny in Jesus? Listen, there's only two things that last forever. The word of God and the souls of men. And women, I use that term, you know, together. But the point is, sometimes we're so concerned about things that absolutely won't matter. They'll all, in a hundred years, it will not matter how much money was in your bank account. It will not matter how much property you owned, how good of a pastor I was. What will matter on that day is, did I, did I honor Jesus, seek his kingdom, and follow him faithfully to the end. That's what will matter. That's what will matter. Um, Hudson Taylor, the famous missionary to China, he once said this about worry and anxiety. He says this about seeking God's kingdom. He says, let us give up our work, our plans, ourselves, our lives, our loved ones, our influence, our all. Give it right into God's hand. And then... When we have given all over to him, there will be nothing left for us to worry about. So the issue of us worrying is us actually trying to hold on to parts of our lives that don't, we don't want to give to Jesus. That's the root cause of it. Instead of saying, Jesus, it all belongs to you anyway, do with me as you please. 
and I will trust you to the end. So here's I close. Here's my question. Pause and think a moment about your day-to-day life. Just pause and think for a second. Where is anxiety and worry and fear controlling your life? What area of your life is it dominating? I'll ask it this way. Does your life look to a watching world like the life of someone walking by faith in Christ? Or do you worry about the same things they worry about? Does it look like someone who lives as though this life is all that there is to worry about? Or does your life only consist of food, clothing, and possessions? Or does your life look like someone who's living for Jesus and his kingdom? That's the question. Now as I close this morning, I'm going to pray in a moment. We're going to have a time of invitation. We've been waiting for a year to have a time of invitation. And this is what it's going to be. First, I'm going to say, if you don't know Jesus, I'm going to be standing here at the front. Pastor Nick will be here. Pastor Cliff, if he's here, might be over on this side. But if, if you don't know Jesus, then you need to understand that you have an appointment to meet one day. And if you have not repented of your sin and put your faith in Jesus, then you're not ready to meet him. You, you need to make sure that you're not worried about all these temporary things without keeping eternity in front of you. You need to come to Jesus by faith. And hear what he says about being a disciple, a follower. Second, if you are a Christian, we haven't been able to do this in a year. I invite you to come to the altar and pray. I invite you to come to the front and just pray and thank God for bringing us safely through this year. So just find you a place and come and pray. Come and pray for those who will continue in the, in the years coming as we continue to meet. Those that will make decisions here. and Those that will follow Jesus. And those that'll, that need to follow Christ to the ends of the earth for the sake of the gospel. We invite you to come and pray. And then lastly, if you're looking for a church home, we invite you to come and unite with us. Um, uh, come and unite with us this morning. We're going to be a church that, that worries about what Jesus says more than we worry about what the world says. So this morning, let me pray, and then we'll stand, and Brother Henry will lead us. Father, I ask now that as we come to this time of invitation, you will speak. You will challenge us. Father, may we lay down our anxiety and our burden, lay down the burden of our worry and our fear at the foot of the cross. And Father, may Jesus receive the glory. May we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, that all this might be added unto him. We pray this in Jesus' name.